to Lord, we want to thank you this morning that your love for us is not conditioned upon whether or not we've had a good quiet time this morning, whether or not we feel like worshiping or singing. It's not based on whether or not we've been good or we've been kind towards our spouse or our children this morning or last night. It's not based upon whether or not we prayed enough prayers this week or read the Bible long enough. God, your love for us has been lavished upon us because you chose to do so. God, it's, it's based not upon our obedience or our good works, Lord. It is based purely upon you choosing to lavish your love upon us. And because of Jesus Christ, we can respond in, in gratefulness and in worship. Lord, this morning we want to thank you that you have loved us and you've showed us the extent of your love in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for people who did not love him, for people who are not seeking after him. We were all like that. And Lord, you have chosen to lavish us with your love and your grace and forgiveness. And you've adopted us into your family. You've called us your own. We come before you each and every day based upon Jesus Christ and his obedience alone, realizing that that has been given to us. And now you look upon us and you see your son, Jesus. So, Lord, we want to thank you for that, God. When we sing about your love, it is fully shown in Jesus Christ and the cross and the forgiveness that we've received. So thank you, God. Lord, we worship you and we give thanks to you and we celebrate this morning what you have done. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam and Valerie leading us today. Do we have anybody in the service this morning who served in the armed forces at any point? Dave, you want to stand up for us? Thank you. Thank you for sacrificing for us. Thank you for giving yourself to serve all of us and our children and their children. Thank you. All right. Let's turn to Ephesians. As we're doing that, um, can I get uh, two people to pass out? We've got some basketball camp flyers in the back. If we can get two people to pass those out, everyone gets three or four flyers. If you don't know, we are, we are hosting a basketball camp this summer. It's not just any old basketball camp. It is a Mercy Hill, um, New Life, Christian Reformed Church, Suburban Bible, and the, the head basketball coach of Purdue Calumet basketball camp. We've got the entire uh, Lincoln Center field house to ourselves for three days straight. We're going to have college basketball players staffing the camp. We are charging only $10 a person for this camp. They get a basketball, a t-shirt, college-level coaching, 
and you get to hear the gospel every single day, all day long, okay? So this basketball camp, as good as it is, is only a vehicle in which we use to not only bless the community, but proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ to everyone sitting in that, on that basketball court. So here's, here's the deal. These are probably, if I could think of an easier way to tell someone about the church, tell someone about the Lord, invite them to something more beneficial, I would, I would give those to you. This is going to be one of the best ways for you to knock on your neighbor's door if they've got a kid in the grades 3 through 8th grade and say, look, let me tell you about a basketball camp that our church is hosting. And it's got college coaches, college players, and they're going to provide food and the whole thing. This is phenomenal, okay? So your job in the coming weeks, and this, the camp is until August, is to knock on your neighbor's door and say, here, look, I want to invite you to this camp. Let me tell you about how cool this is going to be. You can't find babysitting for this cheap, let alone college instruction and all the goodies that come with it. Not only are we going to do that, but we're also going to follow up with the families because it's right around the start of the school year. We're going to take school supplies to the families of the children who've been in the camp, and we're going to tell them about the church. We're not only going to reach to the the kids, but we're going to reach to the parents as well. So this is a phenomenal way as a church that we can really make some contact, make some connections, and tell other people about the Lord. So everyone needs to take three or four. We're going to have an unlimited supply for you to pass out. So once you pass those three or four out, come back and get some more, tell some more people about it. Now, because of the space and that kind of thing, there's only room for about 120 kids. So um, when you do pass it out, say, if you're going to do this, you need to sign up right away. Don't wait till you know, August 1st and decide you want to go to camp because there won't be any room. So please do that. Um, this is going to be a, just a phenomenal time. The head basketball coach of Purdue Calumet, Dan Vaudry, is, uh loves the Lord very dearly, is very um, passionate about sharing Jesus Christ with, with everyone he comes into contact with and using his basketball knowledge and abilities for the kingdom of God. So he's excited to do this. Um, so that's that's something that we need to be looking forward to, okay? A lot of you will be serving in to help make that camp work, okay? Just so you know, you're not just passing flyers out and your hands are clean, okay? You guys will be, uh, we need to make food for two of the three days, make lunches, snacks, uh, welcome thing for the kids coming into the camp, trying to, you know, getting a chance to meet the parents as they drop the kids off. So there's all kinds of work to be done. And so um, that is where you are going to be serving um, much of this summer. Okay, just a uh, little heads up for that. <laughs> All right, let's turn to Ephesians 4, chapter 4. This is week number 8 of our Ephesians series. We've looked at the first three chapters of Ephesians, and uh, now we dig into chapter 4. And really in this, in this, the next three chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul takes a turn and really begins to put feet to the things he's been talking about. So as he's been describing the unity that we have, He's been describing what Christ Jesus has done in our lives and in, in the people around us. He now begins to say, look, here's how, here's how it works. Let me just tell you the practical implications of the things I've been telling you about. I want to read a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He says this, and this is talking about love, because as we look in, this, in the first 
few verses of chapter 4, it talks specifically about love. And he says, agape is disinterested love. Agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sake. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friend and enemy. It is directed towards both. And we're going to be talking about that kind of love this morning. So let's look at Ephesians 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Apostle Paul writes this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he starts off this chapter 4 by saying, I therefore. Now what, is he, what he's talking about is what he's just said in chapter 3. If you remember last week, we talked about this prayer that Paul prays for the church in chapter 3. And what he says is, guys, look, I want you to understand the riches in the depths of Christ's love. Because all I'm about ready to tell you about how we do church, what church looks like, how we put feet to the things I've, I've been describing to you, needs to be rooted, first and foremost, in the love of Christ. Because everything we do needs to come out of that understanding. So it's not just rules, obligations, duties that we now follow in order to live peacefully. He says, no, 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 it's much more than that. He says, Christ Jesus, there's a depth and riches of the love of Christ towards you. And now our response to that, our response to that love is what he's going to say next. He says, everything you do is worship unto the Lord if you do it with this understanding. He says, look, I'm going to tell you how to live this out, but it's not just, it's not just living it out. You have an opportunity to worship the Lord Jesus Christ every single day. It's not Sunday morning from, from 8.30 to 9.05 or from 10.30 to 11.05 or whatever it is. That's not what we consider the extent of our worship experience with the Lord. It is daily decisions that we make that choose to, by our actions and our words and our thoughts, choose to worship Jesus Christ. And so everything we talk about today, when it's done unto the Lord, it, it is worship to Jesus. It is pleasing to Him. And so we need to understand that and really get that drilled into our heads. So we, that's why he prays, Lord, strengthen them with the Holy Spirit to know this love. Because it's beyond our understanding. So there's a realization of the Holy Spirit imparting to us an understanding of this love of Christ Jesus that He has towards us. Okay, he says this, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I remember when I was a, an athlete in high school, I wasn't a very good athlete, but I was, I made the team from t a time or two, and um, I always, and basketball, I sat at the end of the bench when I ran track, it was always like the backup for the backup for the guys, so if it just so happens that a couple of guys get hurt, I'd be able to run, and that never happened, so I just kind of like hung out and didn't do much. But 
what they wanted you to do when you were an athlete in high school is you needed to sign this code of conduct. So they would all sit you down in the auditorium, all the, the athletes for the spring sports or whatever it was, and you'd, they'd say, okay, as an athlete, you represent the school, and so you need to sign this code of conduct saying that you're not going to drink and you're not going to smoke or use tobacco products and you're not just this huge list of things. Has anyone ever filled out that code of conduct in, in sports? Okay, a lot of you done that. Um, so they understood something, though, that as, a, as an athlete, as part of a team, you represent not only your team, but you represent the school, the student body. You represent the town. As an athlete at, at you know, Highland High School, my conduct outside of kind of like team-sanctioned things reflected on the rest of the team and the school. I remember a couple, a couple seasons ago at Purdue Calumet, I don't know if you remember this or not, this is before Dan Vaudry was coaching at Purdue Calumet, they had like 10 players flunk off the team. It was all in the news. It was just like this big deal. They had to forfeit the rest of the games of the season. And in the end, the coach, I think, ended up getting fired because he wasn't able to maintain any kind of um, unity or anything like that on the, on the team. But the player's failure to keep their grades up was a reflection of the coach. So therefore, the coach lost his job when all these players flunked off the team. When Paul writes here, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, there's an understanding there that we have been called to something. And is this calling, we understand that it is a reflection of the person who has called us. So just like on the basketball team, my conduct was a reflection of the coach and of the school and of the other players. Our calling by Almighty God can also be a reflection of Him. Now, what does our calling look like? I want to just, just a couple things I want you to understand because this calling isn't just a calling to kind of be on the team. Look what this calling looks like. And this is just for, for the first few verses of chapter 1 of Ephesians. It says, you are chosen in Christ in, in verse 4, predestined for adoption in verse 5, redeemed through the blood of Christ, verse 7. Forgiven of our trespasses, verse 7. United to Christ, in verse 10. Given an inheritance, verse 11. Sealed with the Holy Spirit, in verse 13. This calling is unlike any other calling you have in your life. You may be called to be a father, to be a brother, to be a friend, to be a good worker. But this calling that God's given us is unlike any calling in the world. And so the way that we live our lives, our conduct, our testimony is a reflection of our God. It's a reflection of God. The way the entire world, even the way that your friends, that your co-workers, that your family knows and see Jesus is through the way that we live our lives. That's our calling. That our lives reflect Jesus Christ. And people will make judgments about Jesus Christ because of our lives. And that's a hard reality. That is, that is hard. When we look at what we've been called to, we have to understand something. It is not just an easy calling. We just kind of float through life. It takes the work of Almighty God filling us and dwelling in us to strengthen us to live out this calling. And so when, when Paul writes 
walk out your calling in a manner worthy to which you've been called, this is like the summary verse for the next three, ch- next three chapters. You could summarize the next three chapters with that one simple verse. Everything we're going to be talking about in the next probably two months comes out of this verse. What does that look like to live out that calling? This is the hinge verse for the next three chapters of this book. And so when you read anything coming after this, man, you have to understand this is just what God has called us to do. This is how we reflect Jesus Christ to the world. This is our testimony unto God. And he writes this in in verse 2 of chapter 4. says, live out this calling, he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It says, bearing with one another in love. And I wish I had time to go through each one of these, these things, but we're going to look at this bearing with one another in love. What does that mean to bear with one another in love as he writes this? As we live out our calling, what does it mean to bear with one another in love? In the Greek, there's four different words describing love. And I think in, a, in our kind of culture, we say the word love for many different things. I love cars. I love pizza. I love Michelle. I love God. I love going to Cubs games. I love all these things. But they're all kind of lumped in together, and we just kind of use that word interchangeably. But in the Greek, there's different words for love that describe different aspects of love. And the word that Paul uses for this is this word agape, this agape love. And it's a special word that's not really used anywhere else outside of the New Testament, a few different places. But this word's primarily used by the New Testament writers to describe God's love and our love towards other people. And this is how William Barclay describes this agape love. The real meaning of agape is unconquerable benevolence. If we regard people with agape, it means that nothing that they can do will make us seek anything but their highest good. Even if they hurt us and insult us, we will never feel anything but kindness towards them. That is quite clearly the meaning that this Christian love is not an emotional thing. This agape is a thing not only of the emotions, but also of the will. It is the ability to retain unconquerable goodwill towards the unlovely and unlovable, towards those who do not love us, and even towards those whom we do not like. Agape is that quality of mind and heart which compels Christians never to feel any bitterness, never to feel any desire for revenge, but always to seek the highest good of absolutely everyone. That's agape love. It's not an emotional thing, per se. It's not just, oh, I just feel, I just love people so much. This, this ooey-gooey, warm, fuzzy, emotional love towards people. Therefore, I'm going I'm to do good towards them. This is more of a decision towards love in an action. It's an unrelenting disposition to do good to those who you may not appreciate or even like. And you know what? This is a love that the world knows nothing of. We don't see this kind of love anywhere in the world. This is unique to our Christian experience. This is the kind of love that God has called us to. And this kind of love does not come naturally. 
This kind of love is not easy. This kind of love is not cheap. This is hard, spirit-filled love towards other people. This is the thing that God's called us to, and it's not our ability to pull this off. Like I said, we need the Holy Spirit. When we sing these songs, Lord Jesus, help us to love this way, not out of our natural ability. Guys, it's easy to love those who love you back. It is easy to love your spouse when you come home and the dinner's on the table and the kids are all cleaned and ready to eat and life is good and easy. And it's easy to love people like that. It's easy to love the person you're sitting next to if, if they've shared their mints with you. And, you know, hey, you don't have a Bible? Let me let, me let you have my Bible. And let me take you out for dinner this week. And, and I'll, like, hey, I, man, this person's great. I love this person. What he's talking about is loving people even when it's difficult, when they don't want to sit next to you. They don't want to be with you. They've slandered you. They've gossiped about you. This is that kind of love God's calling us to. I remember when I was on a missions trip to the Dominican Republic, probably, I don't know, six years ago or something. And there was a kid on the missions trip who forgot their towel, okay? Now, here's the thing about the Dominican Republic, real quick. In the summertime, it's this tropical climate. Therefore, like, you may hang your towel up at night, and the next day, after, you know, take a shower, hang your towel up the next day, it's still soaking wet. So, like, a fresh towel is like gold, because there's nothing dry that you own after you've, you know, you've, you've worn it or used it. And this kid, at, you know, we tell everyone, look, you need to bring X amount of towels. They're going to be there, you know, this amount of time. If you don't have a towel, man, it, that's, that's your fault. You sh- we've told you a hundred times. Well, by the end of the trip, like as a youth pastor, man, you love kids, and I love your kids, and I, I want to reach out to them. By the end of the trip, I'm like, man, I just want to go home. I don't love your kids anymore. I don't want to be with them. I have no grace for them. Everything's gone. Um, and this kid, this kid walks up and says, hey, let me have your towel because I forgot mine. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I've told you a hundred times to bring your towel, and here you are, you forgot your towel, and you want to take my clean towel. So I have nothing to use, you know? Like, like that's like the worst idea. And I was with Michelle at the time, and she was my girlfriend at the time, so it was probably eight years ago. I'm with Michelle at the time, and Michelle says, oh, here, use my towel. And it just really affected me. And afterwards, I'm like, what were you thinking? <laughs> are you serious? What are you going to use? I mean, all these, you know, just all these things. But it was such a clear demonstration. The, the kid did not deserve a towel. The kid forgot his towel. He deserved to stay soaking wet. He probably didn't shower anyways. I mean, it was just like, you know, I couldn't understand it. And just seeing that is brought back to mind this agape love, this doing good towards people who didn't necessarily deserve it. It really affected me. So what does that look like for us? Let me just give you a couple quotes. This is what it would look like for us. You calling up someone saying, I'm running to the grocery store. Do you need anything? Pick it up and bring it over. I'll come over and clean your house so you can spend time with God. Anna Williams called our house a couple of weeks ago and said, I just want to come over and clean. You could just get a break. Came over and cleaned her house. That was the love of Christ to us. I can bring over a meal so you don't have to bake. 
I'll hold your baby so you can worship. I parked far away so you can have a place to park that's closer to the building. I'll say hello to you even though I have asked you your name every week for the past two months. And I should remember it by now, but I'm going to say hello anyways. I'll invite you out to lunch and pay even though I'm shy and poor. I'll ask questions and listen instead of talking the whole time. That's agape love. Elizabeth Steele comes over to our house on a fairly regular basis. I want to say weekly. Babysits for us. Doesn't ask for a dime. Does it joyfully. Call at the last minute sometimes. She says, I'll be right over. When, when that happens, we experience the love of Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine if that was the testimony of all of us in this church? What that would look like to the world? Not just to one another, but to all the world. What a testimony that would be. People would have no idea. When we tell people that we've got someone in our church that comes over to babysit for our kids, that we don't have to pay, that does it joyfully, people don't get that. They don't understand that. It's a testimony to Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done. Think about the people who serve in children's ministry who signed up to do children's ministry who don't necessarily like kids. You know what? Took a step of faith. Said, you know what? It's more important that people can sit in the service and worship while I go take care of their own kids. While I'll serve them and bless them and tell their children about Jesus. What a testimony it is. Every single week out of this church of people who do that. But even like Brett and Joe, the sound guys, Nat, these guys work the soundboard. And it's, I can only imagine it's hard to experience the whole just time of worship when you're busy trying to listen and adjust and fix and, and all those things. They give up their time every single week, their worship experience, so that we are blessed, so that we are served. That's agape love. And if you think about it, isn't this what Christ has done for us? When we look at Ephesians 2, it says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. It says, we were dead in sin. We walked in disobedience. We walked in disobedience to Jesus. It said, we followed Satan. We were in opposition to God. Yet Jesus Christ unrelentingly did good towards us. He died for our sins in our place. He gave himself for us. Not when we had so much good going on in our lives and he couldn't help but be kind towards us. It says he died for us while we were still dead, while we were still in disobedience, while we still walked in the ways of Satan, while we still were in opposition to him. He gave himself for us. When we walk in this kind of love, when we have this kind of disposition, 
This maintains and keeps the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let this be said of our church. Let it be said of us. Let us today, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, decide to walk in this kind of love. Decide to walk this out. I want to ask you, is there a relationship in your life that you need to walk this out in? Is there something that God is calling you to do, whether it be in this church or in your family or at work or on your neighborhood, that God is saying you need to love them like this, whether you feel like it or not. By the grace and power of God, you begin to walk that out. Because your testimony is a reflection of Jesus Christ. It is a reflection. Your life, the way you live this out, reflects and testifies to the power of God. Okay. How much time do I have left? All right. I got to fly through this because I'm trying to get to the next few verses here. Um, let's look at verses 4 through 10. Okay. Verses 4 through 10. So Paul here begins to move from this unity, this love towards one another. Now he says this, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. The one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to, to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who has descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So here he says, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. You can kind of divide these things into to three areas. We have the same identity, the same testimony, and the same family. We're all one body filled with the same spirit, and we're all called to one hope. Same identity. We're, we share the same testimony. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We all testify that Jesus is Lord. Because of his death on the cross, we are saved. By our baptism, we declare to the world that we belong to Jesus. There isn't any other testimony that God accepts as true and right. This is the only testimony that we have. There is not a different testimony. No one came to Christ on any different terms. This is the only testimony. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the only testimony that we have. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Not only that, but we share the same family, one God and Father of all. So the implications of God being our Father is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to move on, but I just want to make a quick reference. I've got more here, but um, I'm not going to be able to make it through all this. But I just want to say this. This 
I don't know if in your Bibles you, there's an indentation here where it says when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Is that kind of set apart in your Bible? That's a reference to Psalm 68, 18. But the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, made a little change in that quote. And instead of reading that God re- received gifts of men, he says that God gave gifts to men. So if you go back to Psalm 68, 18, it doesn't say he gave gifts to men. It says that God received gifts from men. And it's in the ancient world, generals would return from battle. And in the return from battle, as victorious as they were, they would parade through the towns that they, that they were coming back to. And so there'd be this huge parade and celebration and they would bring along with them this host of captives of war, demonstrating their victory over the enemies. And not only that, but they would bring with them all the spoils and treasures that they had accumulated from, from the, the people they had conquered. And at the end of the parade, they would distribute these gifts to the people in the, the, the kingdom that they were part of. It would be a great just party for all these things. A celebration. And here we see Jesus defeating sin, defeating death, defeating Satan. Jesus now ascends to heaven in victory, giving gifts to people. We are the ones that were once held captive to these things. And now God takes us with him to heavenly places. But in these things, it says that God gave gifts to men. Each one a measure of God's grace according to God's plan. So now there's this diversity because he's giving different gifts. He's distributing different gifts to different people. And although we have the same identity and same testimony and same family, he's now going to begin to tell us about some of the differing gifts in the church. Think about your, we have our own kids and they have the same identity, the same testimony. They all came from the same place and they have the same family. But all of our kids are completely different. It's not one alike. If you have your own kids, you're going to see, man, they're not, there's none of them that are alike. These, these guys are all diverse in their likes and dislikes and temperaments. They're all diverse. But this diversity only reflects Christ's generosity and kindness towards us. So what are some of these gifts? Well, he talks about in verse 11, he says, God gives Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So he gives these different giftings to the body for a specific purpose. What is that purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So in some churches that are large, you hire a large pastoral staff. The pastoral staff does the work of the ministry. They do the, the visitations in the hospital. They do all the work of, of praying for people. Of, they do all these things, and, and that's good for some churches. For us, I, as I read this, I wrestle. I want to be a church where the Lord willing, we add more staff to the church. It's not to do the work of the ministry so everyone can kind of sit back and watch the paid professionals do it, but that we would see the people, all of us, being trained to do the work of the ministry. So the work of the ministry is done through the body, not just through a few people, but through everybody. And this word for equip that he uses 
is the same word that is used in Matthew 4.21. Okay, so if you look back at 4.21, you don't have to turn there. But 4.21, this word equip, is the same word that is used to describe James and John cleaning and repairing the nets. They were fishermen at the time, turned disciples. It's describing James and John preparing the nets for the next day's catch. So they're cleaning, they're fixing, they're mending these nets because tomorrow there's going to be a catch. And the same word for equip is this deliberate equipping of the saints for the work ahead. How is that done? Part of that is done is through what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, it's the preaching of the word. This equipping comes, we are equipped through the preaching of the word. He says, this is the biblical understanding of the preaching of the word of God. Its goal is not merely, merely educational, but transformational. It informs the mind in order to touch the conscience, mold the will, cleanse the affections, and sanctify the whole life. The Word is thus allowed to do its own sanctifying work. As our Lord Himself prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. This requires intensive treatment. We take the preaching of the Word of God here at Mercy Hill very seriously. We give time and a lot of time to this. If anything gets cut out of the announcements and, and all these other good things that we have going on this morning, we will always give time to the proclamation of the Word of God because we believe it's one of the primary ways that we as a body are trained into the work of ministry. And so we're able then to apply the Word to our lives and begin to put it into practice and see the Word of God unleashed in our lives to change our lives. This is so powerful. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so that's why it's so important. I encourage you guys, as we hear the message preached, take notes. Bring your Bible. Go back through the message later in the week because you can't absorb everything that's being said. I know these messages I bring are not very complicated, they're, they're very easy, I hope to understand. I'm not a very uh, complicated guy. But I want you guys to apply this into your lives. It's not just educational. It's not just a lecture where you get more information and you go on your way. This is to apply to your lives because the God's Word is then unleashed in our lives and it transforms our lives. So we put this into practice. So it's one of the ways that we are trained as God's people to reach the world, to live out our calling, is through the proclaimed Word of God being applied to our lives. And that requires intensive treatment. We don't take it lightly. I don't want you to take this lightly. Bring a notebook. Bring a pen. If you don't have a notebook, we've got notebooks in the back for you to have. Go back to the sound booth and say, I'd like a notebook. We've ordered a whole bunch of them so that you would have something to take notes in. So later this week, you can go back over the message and say, what do I need to apply to my life? What do I need to use? Okay, so the result of the saints being trained for the work of the ministry is this. The body of Christ is built up. We all have a part. The body keeps be being built up to the unity of faith and a knowledge of the Son of God. It says to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. So how do we begin to discern the grace gifts that God has given us? A couple quick ways. 
is one is you begin to serve. I'm not talking only church service opportunities, but serving in areas around in, at work, in the town, in your neighborhood, even at, at church is, is, is great. It's important. And we're talking to Jen Bovenkirk. And she was telling me that she's not quite sure where God has called her to serve. But she says this. She says, and I'm, this is an exact quote, but I'm going to serve on the worship team until I figure out where God's called me to serve. I think that is a great, that is a great response. To say, look, I'm not going to just sit around and wait for somebody to hit me in the head with where I'm supposed to serve. I'm going to go do it. And I'm going to see what the grace of God is available. Some of you may think, man, I don't like kids. I may not be the best one for children's ministry. Look, if you go down and say, I just want to serve, I'll come alongside someone who does love kids, who can teach and train kids eternal truths. I'm just going to come alongside them and help them. Pass out the snacks, pass out the handouts, make sure kids aren't writing on the walls and beating each other up. And I'm just going to do that because I want to see maybe there is a gifting in here. What if God has gifted you to explain to the next generation of kids eternal truths that transform lives? But you don't know that until you take a step of faith and say, God, I'm going to walk this out. I'm going to do this. So there's children's ministry. We've got the basketball camp coming up. Media team, ushers, there's all these things you could jump into. The worship team, you don't even have to know, have musical ability. I'm not saying we're putting you on stage. But maybe you can come and help set up equipment, help with the sound. I mean, there's a million things that you can do. Just want to serve. And all this serving comes back to this agape love. We desire to have people come on a Sunday morning and feel welcomed and loved and cared for and encouraged. One of the things is, is even the greeters at the door, when you feel you are welcomed in a place and it's forgotten about, when when you drop your kid off for the first time at Chone's ministry and you're unfamiliar with the church or the people, to have a smiling face and enough people in the room to care for your children, that's a big deal. You may be, by caring for someone's kid, may be freeing them from the worry of where, what my kid is doing or where my kid is at or if there's enough helpers in the room to be able to worship on a Sunday morning, hands up, lifted high, in freedom. You may be allowing that. Verse 14 says this, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, the thing about children is they're unable to discern the valuable from the invaluable. If that's even a word. Is that a word, Michelle? Okay. Valuable from invaluable or unvaluable. Um, so Michelle will sometimes clean out her purse. She'll put it on the couch or the table. And she'll sort through the kind of like kids' junk and pieces of food and French fries. And there'll be a camera and there'll be like some other things. And one of my kids will walk right up and just clear the whole thing off the table. He has no idea what's a French fry or what's a camera. No idea that the, 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 the green French fry now that's turned is more is worth nothing and the $200 camera is something you shouldn't throw on the floor. There's no discernment there. Or if you've ever given a, a gift to your child or seen someone give a gift to a child 
and they get this gift, and it's like the greatest gift ever, and they open it up, and they go and they play with the box or the wrapping paper, and they have no idea that the gift they got was really cool. He says, look, there's, there's a wind of doctrine that blows through the church every year. And there's hurricanes that blow through every few years. Things that would distract us, keep us away from this message that God's given us to proclaim of Jesus Christ and his gospel. He says, look, when you begin to walk these things out, when you begin to put the word into practice in your life, when you begin to lay your life down for other people, there begins a building up of, of your faith and of the church that happens. That when that wind of doctrine blows through, that is off. Even if it's just a little bit, but it's off, we're able to stand firm. We're able to discern what's the $200 camera and what's the candy wrapper. Okay. I just want to read Ephesians 15 and 16, and then we'll close. It says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with, it, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Christ is the head, the leader, the authority in the church. As we come together, we bring our gifts. We use them for Christ's purposes. The body grows and is built up. We all experience the blessing and the grace of God in that. When you begin to walk that out. You know, as I was reading this, I was really challenged. What does it mean for me as a leader, as an elder in the church, my dad as an elder in the church? What does it mean to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. I was challenged by that. I'm sorting through that. I'm, I am asking God, God, what does it mean? Is there more to be done? As a church, what is it that you are giving us to do to train the body for this kind of work of ministry? To stand firm against the different winds of doctrine that blow through the, through the church. What does it mean for people to be united under Christ? I'm challenged by that. I'm praying through that. Would you pray through that with me? Say, God, what does that mean for us as a church? How can we be equipped in the Lord for the work of the ministry? Okay. If we could have the ushers begin to distribute the elements for communion. I want you just to consider a couple things. Are you consuming or are you giving? Are you placing yourself under the word? Are there things that God, even as we spoke this morning about this agape love, about the way that the Bible calls us to love one another, is there people in your lives or relationships in your life that you need to get straightened out? That you need to go before Almighty God and say, God, I understand that I can't do this on my own. I am asking you too great of a task for me alone to pull this off. You guys can begin to distribute that. Am I, I, am I walking in disobedience to your, to your will for my life and not walking this out? Is the body suffering because I'm not bringing what you've given me to bring? I want you to consider this. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, 
we come, we come invited by Jesus Christ to this table again and again and again. It is a reminder to us of the grace of God. So no matter what we have experienced this week, that we come back to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive forgiveness in our repentance. So I want to ask you, take stock of your life. Is the testimony of Christ being compromised by not living this out? Is there relationships you need to get straightened out? Is there giftings or are there areas that you need to begin to walk in faith to serve or to bless or to care for that would greater reflect Jesus Christ? Then I'm going to pray and we're going to partake of the communion together. So, Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you have given yourself, your life for us. Lord, thank you that you've given us everything. Lord, thank you that you've called us to love this way, and we acknowledge, Lord, that we cannot do that on our own. It's a work of your Spirit, Lord, so we ask that you would strengthen us for this kind of love. And Lord, as we take this communion, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for your love towards us on the cross, that you gave your life. And we celebrate and remember not only your death and resurrection, Lord, but that you are coming again. Lord, we come before you now and we ask that you would pinpoint areas of our life that we need to lay before you relationships we need to lay before you. God, I pray that you would help us. We need your help. We need your grace. In Jesus' name.